Hi, everyone, and welcome to season four of the podcast. I'm super excited to be back and to announce that the podcast will now be called the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast to better reflect the subject matter. The first few episodes were recorded before the rebranding, so I still refer to it by its old raw fork name in those. Anyway, I had no idea when I started this podcast that it would evolve to this format, but I did know that I wanted to share people's stories. It has evolved from me reading my blog post out loud to interviewing non-traditional pharmacists, including herbalists. Season 4 will air every Friday, highlighting inspirational pharmacists that chose to fit out of the proverbial box and are working to build a new system of care focusing on natural and preventative medicine. Please enjoy the show. Hola, I'm back from my first ever live retreat in Costa Rica. If you're interested in following my journey, please tune in to my Instagram profile at rawfork, R-A-W-F-O-R-K, or you can just search me by my name, Dr. Marina Buxov where I share lots of photos, videos, and takeaways from this truly transformative experience. Now let's get back to today's podcast episode. I'm super excited to introduce you to my next guest with whom I had a blast recording and was surprised at how many things we connected on. Dr. Frida Wiley is a licensed pharmacist turned freelance medical writer and medical journalist. She has written for numerous organizations, including pharmaceutical corporations, the National Institutes of Health, and Oh, the Oprah Magazine. She also wrote a health column for WebMD. Frida has been writing ever since she can remember, winning awards for her writing since the first grade and considers herself a writer first and a scientist second. She accidentally fell into technical writing after college while working as a chemist for an aerospace company whose main customer was the United States Navy. In that role, writing typically meant drafting a lab report, drawing up work orders, or tweaking a standard operating procedure. A few years later, her path became clear when she published her first magazine article and some marketing materials while still in pharmacy school. Today, Frida draws from her diverse professional experiences in chemistry, the pharmaceutical industry, and pharmacy practice to produce content in plain language, as well as in complex jargon for scientific and medical professionals. She enjoys her work deeply and is committed to serve by crafting meaningful content that engages readers. So without further ado, let's welcome her to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast. I'm so excited. I have with me today Dr. Frida Wiley, and she's a freelance medical writer and pharmacist. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you again. So I'd love to know just a little bit about your background, where you grew up, and how you came to be a pharmacist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's a, an interesting story, I guess, a convoluted path, if you will. So I'm originally from Huntsville, Texas. That's where I grew up. It's now technically considered a suburb of Houston with a population expansion. And as far as my journey into pharmacy, the interesting thing is that I experienced pharmacy vicariously, initially through my father, who was the chief of medical purchasing for the state prison system. So that's actually why I'm from Huntsville because that's where it was headquartered at the time. I think the headquarters have officially moved to Austin, but don't quote me on that. 
But anyway, he basically acted almost like an unlicensed pharmacist with the things that he did. He ran the medical distributorship. He was responsible for ordering the supplies for the inmates. He even did some compounding. And he did work very closely with many pharmacists. And one of his best friends was a pharmacist. And so when I was in school, he basically waited until I was an undergrad at UT and I was a biochemistry major for and during undergrad. And he was telling me, you know, you might want to take a look at the pharmacy program. And I was like, daddy, I don't want to do that. <laughs> That's just not my thing because I just thought of it as, you know, what many people perceive pharmacy to be. And so originally I had my sights set on medical school, but during my, I guess it was my sophomore year or junior year. Uh, yeah, junior year, I did some undergraduate research and I fell in love with the lab, just totally. And I thought that was where I was headed. I wanted to do pharmaceutical research in the pharmaceutical industry. And then when I graduated, I actually took a job as an aerospace chemist working for this company that was a private industry on the old Kelly Air Force Base in San Antonio. And during that time, I networked with quite a few chemists who were PhD scientists, and quite a few of them expressed that they felt that there were maybe, I don't want to say barriers, but that perhaps it was more limiting for them career-wise in terms of options outside of the lab. And even though I loved laboratory work, I could also see myself doing many other things. So... I decided that I would probably pursue pharmacy and the way that I chose pharmacy at that point was I had done some research on other graduate degrees because I knew I wanted to go back to school. And I had read somewhere that there were pharmacists who worked in the pharmaceutical industry, pharmacists who did research. I found out that the world's oldest cosmetic company, Shiseido, was founded by a pharmacist. And I just thought, wow, this is great. So this is far beyond what my initial perception was. So that was sort of how I chose pharmacy. And then, you know, during pharmacy school, I was really laser focused on the industry. And that was how I developed or built my CV. And I landed some internships in the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, my first summer was with Procter & Gamble. And then the next year, I kind of had my choice of companies that I could intern with. But I went back to PNG and that was my introduction into medical writing because I supported the medical writing team, even though my role as an intern was different. It's kind of a long-winded answer, but. Yeah, that's fascinating. So first you did an undergrad, uh, undergrad degree in chemistry, like a bachelor's of science. Yeah, so actually, I have two bachelor's degrees. Um, I double majored, so I have a bachelor of science in biochemistry, although I worked as an analytical slash electrochemist in the aerospace industry. And I also have a bachelor of arts in Spanish. That's so fascinating. Amazing. And kind of like two opposites, a literary degree and a scientific degree. So how did that serve you, do you think, in your career and your life, having those two mm -hmm. hemispheres kind of working together. <laughs> yeah, I think it has served me very well. Like, I honestly feel that I draw from all of my education every single day. I had the honor of getting to serve the Spanish-speaking community when I was practicing in pharmacy. Even during my very brief experience as a pharmacy technician for Walgreens, once they found out that I spoke Spanish, I actually spent more time translating than I did learning my duties as a tech or <laughs> the drugs. Uh, and then, 
you know, when I was practicing, I initially started a community practice and I worked with the Spanish speaking population. And then from there transitioned into working for a managed care firm, providing medication therapy management services, which was the majority of what I did when I was practicing in the community sector, but I was hired as a Spanish speaking pharmacist. So that's something that has remained near and dear to me to have the opportunity to serve and expand my reach and ability to help as many people as possible. Yeah. Wow. That is so fascinating. Like every piece of your story is just making me want to dive in deeper and deeper. So the Spanish language, so a four-year bachelor's degree, double major, Mm -hmm. uh, did that help you become fluent in Spanish? Did you have any background Spanish experience before that? And did you have to have additional medical Spanish training? Those are excellent questions. So uh, Spanish technically is my second language. Well, or you could maybe argue my third. I attempted to dabble in French. My mother tried to teach me some French when I was a child. And I I think because I learned English first and just the differences in pronunciation and spelling, I, that was not, it, I didn't have that too. So we'll just say that. <laughs> Uh, now it, it's uh, easier for me, but back then it was like, what? No, you have 20 letters. You're pronouncing two of them. I don't understand. <laughs> it sounds beautiful, but no. <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah. So when I was in the third grade, we had a shortage of Spanish speaking teachers or shortage of teachers, period, in my town and specifically at my school. And so I was put into a class where half of us were English speaking only or predominantly English speaking and the other half was Spanish speaking. There was only one child in the entire class who was bilingual. And I felt like I was missing out, you know, because I wanted to be able to communicate with all of my classmates and get to know them. And so some of it I picked up by communicating with them. They also had like an after school program, like Spanish, you know, elementary Spanish or whatever. So that, I guess, from a formal standpoint was my initial introduction. And then when I was in high school, you know, I grew up in a small town. So we were limited in terms of access to studying foreign languages. So it was only Spanish, English, Spanish, German and French. And later on, I think in high school, they added Latin or something like that. But I ended up choosing Spanish. And so I took advanced placement Spanish. I did very well in it. Part of the reason why I was able to get the two degrees, and I spent four and a half years in undergrad, but I placed out of 25 hours worth of credit, a major credit for Spanish with a grade of A. So I technically only had to take nine classes to that were actually Spanish major classes to get the degree and the rest were classes that you would have to take for any degree at the university. Does that answer your question? Yes, I keep wanting to say fascinating again. So I love Spanish myself too. And I, I think I started learning it in the sixth grade uh, here when I came to America. So uh, I just am fascinated with the language and the culture. I traveled to Spain a couple of times and I have relatives actually in Argentina. So I was able to um, translate for my family who didn't know Spanish when we found each other, kind of found our roots um, that we have family there and we started communicating with them. So that was really fun. And yeah. Yeah, I kind of regret not doing more like AP level Spanish work because I stopped after grade 11. 
um, or even medical Spanish. I took some CE credits in medical Spanish to, to help me also with my customers when I work in the store in retail setting. So, and I live in New York where there's a, a huge Spanish speaking population. So I love being able to communicate with the patients. Um, so yeah, I feel like you're just inspiring me to go back to Spanish and keep learning because I, I just love the language. And you're right, as soon as you know one romantic language, you kind of could get the hang of some other ones. Like I loosely sometimes understand some Italian because of my Spanish. And yeah. you know, even the French, you can kind of catch some root words sometimes. <laughs> um, yeah. And in my high school, I remember we had a second track that um, either you're in the med medical scientific tract or um, the arts and humanities tract, which included Latin as part of their tract. So I also kind of regret I didn't take Latin because that would have helped me out tremendously in the sciences, you know, learning all the pharmaceuticals and all the shorthands and everything like that. And botany as well, because I've been learning that through herbalism. Right, right. Yeah, and I, I feel like we share some synergy with that too, because, you know, one of the things I left out was when I was working as a clinical pharmacy advisor, doing MTM for this managed care company, my patient population was Greater New York City. The company was based in Hoboken, New Jersey. Oh. Yeah, so I had just, I mean, I talked to people from all over the world, um, Spanish speaking, and what I would cover for, we had an English speaking pharmacist who also worked with other international populations and when I would cover for her, I would get to listen to other languages that I didn't speak or understand. So I got to, you know, work with patients who spoke Romanian, Haitian Creole, uh, Mandarin. I could understand a few words like I, I have like a just, well, it's not even worth mentioning the, the Chinese that I know, but, you know, so I, I totally get it. And actually one of my cousins is married or was married to a lady from Peru. And I remember when I went to spend Thanksgiving with them in San Francisco back in, I guess like 2009, I, yeah, I was talking to her family and it was just really nice to have that, you know, that connection to have that synergy. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's totally true. And, you know, living in such a huge multicultural pot here in New York City, but really everywhere in the States, yeah. it's so nice to just connect on different levels and learn people's languages and even just say a few words like in the pharmacy to them or just say hello or thank you. So it's kind of just like a nice gesture so that when you are maybe traveling and visiting different countries, you know how to say a few basic things that make people feel like okay you're trying you're trying to fit in here you know you're not just speaking english but we are super fortunate that english is spoken pretty much everywhere so it's definitely a great skill to have in english so let's go back to you graduated with a double major uh mm -hmm. then you kind of dabbled in the industry and worked as a super cool chemist um <laughs> in a in a cool lab setting um, so with the double major and one of them being biochem, how did you earn enough credit to become doctor of pharmacy? How long did that take you? Yeah, so I went to a new school. I did not have the option. Like there, I think some programs where they kind of let you go straight through or there may be an accelerated mm -hmm. program. So it was another four years. 
So I got to take biochemistry again, which was fun because I love biochem, obviously. Uh, so yeah, you know, it was kind of starting over, but in a good way, you know, it's good to have the refreshers. And, you know, when you get older, sometimes you process information differently or you have a different perception or appreciation. And sometimes the science changes as well. I mean, I remember when I was an undergrad, there were 20 amino acids where we had to memorize all of them and their structures, PKs and all that. And now sometimes they'll say there are 22 or 23 basic amino acids, you know, so it's nice to see how things evolve and to stay current. Yeah, absolutely. I remember those days too. But that is fascinating because when you have a really solid foundation in biochem, that is so helpful in pharmacy, but also in medicine in general, because it's all about how these chemicals interact with our biology. And like you said, you know, the amino acids and just knowing about them can be so helpful to know what's going on with our neurotransmitters or, you know, just how things are digested in the body. And how do you feel like that served you, you know, knowing biochemistry so well and being in this field? I think it's been tremendously helpful. I think, especially when you get to medicinal chemistry or if you are trying to learn and memorize side effects, sometimes understanding the structure activity relationship, having a, a more intimate understanding of it, at least for me, helped me to process the information. I don't know what the appropriate terminology is for it. I'm sure someone has assigned something, but I tend to learn oftentimes by linking or by associations. And so for me, I was able to extrapolate some of that learning from biochemistry to pharmacy and it was just it was just so helpful yeah i still tend to see the world in atoms and molecules <laughs> now so it just if you can take the girl out of the lab you can't take the lab out of the girl wow so basically if, if somebody showed you a molecular structure of a drug you would be able to kind of know what it's for and what the side effects would be at times, yeah. Can I do it for all of them? No, but I still remember, you know, structures of certain things. I still remember the PKAs of, you know, all of the amino acids. I still remember the basic structure of the steroid molecule. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. What I find fascinating too about the steroid molecule is that when you look at a lot of plant constituents, they all, a lot of them have the same backbone or something mm -hmm. similar in the 3D structure that you can imagine that even if it doesn't have all the links, it still kind of hangs out in the same uh, stereochemical way and is formed. And it just gets so complex. Like if we think drugs are complex, the plant world is like way more complex. And then they're all attached to other molecules and glycosides and all this stuff. So it's it's so cool you can just keep diving deeper and deeper into that and then i i really like can dream about it sometimes when i'm like looking at things or preparing for a lecture the next night i'm like dreaming about all of that yeah yeah and i can definitely appreciate that like i know we had talked uh, offline before about your passion for herbalism and different things and I think going back to one of your earlier questions about, you know, who I am, where I'm from and why pharmacy, I think 
in a way, pharmacy has helped me to connect to my heritage, my culture as well. My great grandmother was our family healer and she was a medicine woman. She delivered my father and the other babies. And in our family for many years, people would only go to the doctor when she would say it was something that she couldn't fix. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, even though, you know, she died when I was 10, uh, but she was a hundred. So you can't wow. expect her to live forever. Although that was pretty close, right? Pretty close. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I didn't have the honor of really being able to truly inherit that intergenerational knowledge that is oftentimes passed down in folk medicine. But I do, you know, have certain stories that have stuck with me that my father shared, or even on my mother's side, there is, you know, some similarity in just cultural folk medicine or different things that people practice. So it's, nice to have this pharmacy background because it does help when I look into things like that. That was part of the reason why I accepted the rotations with the Indian Health Services. So I went into it with some ignorance. You know, I immediately envisioned that the pharmacy would look like an apothecary. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it didn't. But I was fortunate that my preceptor was gracious enough to let me learn and explore when he saw that I had that interest and that passion. So I was able to, you know, spend time with the medicine man, I got to shadow a naturopathic doctor, that was my initial exposure to an ND because in Texas, they are not allowed to practice. Mm. Yeah, so basically that was such an eye opener for me, Marina, because when I walked into her clinic, like the first day that I was there, her clinic looked exactly like what I had envisioned the pharmacy was going to look like. And so it was just so cool to kind of shadow her and listen to her treat the natives and to see how she actually integrated Eastern, well, I won't say Eastern, but traditional medicine with conventional medicine. I remember watching her one time adjust the dose of a patient's statin mm -hmm. because the man was complaining of sexual dysfunction. Mm -hmm. And so she actually took it back to the basics, this whole you know, biochemistry bit, medicinal chemistry piece that we're talking about. And she said, well, you know, since the steroid is kind of like the, the backbone, right. maybe by adjusting his stat and lowering the dose, then that can help restore his sexual function. Yeah. And that to me, like that was, you know, 11 years ago, but I still think about that and it just really planted a seed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, folk magic, folk tradition, you know, um, plant wisdom, all of these are part of our ancestral roots. And every single culture on the planet has these kind of traditions and ways of healing, ways of being in balance with the earth and taking the medicine from the earth. And we have kind of just over medicalized it in a way in some of the allopathic models. And we've taken the power away from the family to heal itself and to do a lot of self-care that used to be done at home and we just like outsourced it all to medical offices and you know procedures and even surgeries so i think there's a balance to the scale and i think if we focus more on 
the self-care preventative side, we can absolutely affect the other side of it, which is the radical medicine, which can be, you know, kind of like guerrilla medicine, you know, it, it really is effective and awesome and life-saving, but then, um, you know, do we always have to do it in an extreme invasive manner or can there be steps in between that will help everybody heal and lower our healthcare burden as well? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's also what makes the work that you're doing so important because especially when you talk about the healthcare burden, the fact that some of these more invasive options and just conventional options in general are not accessible to so many people, even if they have insurance, maybe they cannot afford the copay or there's some other barrier. So the folk medicine, the plant medicine, returning to our roots, embracing and reconnecting with our roots a bit more, I definitely see how there's a place for that. And it would be nice, you know, to find a happy medium. Yeah. Yeah. I also want to reflect on your story of your great grandma. My grandma from my mom's side who recently passed was also a, um, medicine woman of sorts. She delivered babies. She was a midwife. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure how far back my ancestral roots in healing go, but she definitely was amazing at what she did and, you know, helped bring a lot of life to the world. Um, so yeah, it's really nice to carry on this work. And I want to go back to your story, of course, because this interview is about you. And I would love to know how you transitioned from those rotations that you spoke about and having an interest in natural medicine and then also having that lab background and the medical writing opportunity that you secured for yourself. So how did all of that play into the development of your career and what is it that you're doing now? Mm -hmm. So (laughs) that's a lot to answer. Uh, Quite a few questions I heard in there. So let's see. Basically, the transition came, well, first of all, I kind of deviated from my original path. I did have a fellowship, but I declined it mainly for family reasons. Like my mother had gotten very ill my last semester of school. And I saw the importance and the impact of me being able to be an advocate for her situation and for her health during that time. So I, that's actually how I started in community practice. Originally, that was not on my radar. Mm -hmm. I, again, I went to pharmacy school to do research. So I went with the intent of working in what some would consider to be a non-traditional setting. Having said that, though, the beauty of it was that it gave me, um, I would never say that I am happy my mother got sick. Absolutely not. But what that did do, because I was able to assume the role of advocacy at that point, my dad had been retired for like 20 years. So he was very removed from the medical industry at that point. There were pharmaceutical companies that are big names now that didn't even exist at the time he retired. Yeah. So me being able to step in and play a more active role to be involved in her care and support her kind of got me thinking along the lines of, wow, you know, I have an opportunity to do this for other people who maybe they don't have family members who were able to advocate for them. Or even if they do, maybe the family members don't have the medical background that I have. So I can do this in community as well. And that was another reason why I really enjoyed MTM 
pharmacy when I started out. So the writing actually kind of coincided with that. I still sought out opportunities to write while I was practicing. It was obviously kind of difficult. You, you know how sometimes the hours in community pharmacy can be. Wow. And because I was working in rural East Texas, like farther out beyond even my hometown and closer to the Louisiana border, I spent a lot of time on the road. So my days were very long. And when I would get my freelance projects, I would normally have to do it on my off day. I would be really tired. It would take a moment to turn my pharmacy brain off and my writing brain on. And it started to have imposter syndrome. Oh my goodness, I can't do this. I'm not good enough. What's wrong with me? So anyhow, ultimately when I was practicing in the MTM setting, working for the company in Hoboken, it was sort of almost like a perfect storm, the whole blessing of the skies thing, because the company unfortunately had laid off the majority of our support staff. And I was a, a telecommuter, by the way, that was my first experience of being fully remote. I actually did work from home some when I was practicing community pharmacy, but mainly to catch up on the paperwork. Mm -hmm. and so that was born out of necessity, but I kind of saw the writing on the wall. And I remember thinking that, you know what? I don't, I don't know if there's going to be a place for me mm -hmm. with organization. I don't know how long this is going to last. The combination of them having, you know, downsized our department tremendously. It was just the, the pharmacists and it was only a handful of us at that point. And then, you know, hearing that, that our department was not making a lot of money, that was sort of, you know, <laughs> I, I need to... <laughs> yeah, I really need to start thinking about this. So I ended up leaving and during that time, I took the time to just kind of debrief, process what had happened and uh, just kind of breathe because, you know, I had been going, blowing, going so hard. I needed the time. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I started kind of researching more about the writing because that was something that became more and more important to me. And I wanted to have more time to do it or do more of the kind of writing that I wanted to do. And so I just started doing a lot of self-study. Like I never intended to be self-employed. I never intended to, you know, I always saw myself climbing the corporate ladder. So <laughs> it was a very strange and scary place for me to be because I, I never, I never wanted that responsibility. I never wanted to deal with the administration or any of, of the logistics. I, I never wanted to be out there, never did. And so I did continue to do MTM at that point. I was doing it as an independent consultant and I did it for about four or five months uh, in the beginning of 2014, I believe, yeah. And at the same time, you know, I'm recuperating from my burnout. I'm doing my reading, my researching about writing. And so I started kind of scaling it up from there. And that's sort of how it happened. I didn't do it the way that oftentimes they recommend you do it which is, you know, you are building your business while you're holding down your regular job. Mm -hmm. I was not that person. So it was unexpected and just sort of stumbled into it in a way and just yeah. kept digging. Yeah. Well, I just want to say that, yes, it must have been super important for you, this medical writing field, since you were doing it on your days off, like you were saying, and you were already exhausted from commuting to work, you know, however many days a week, six days a week, possibly. And 
then you still found the time to go and, and follow that. So why was it so important? And, you know, why is it so close to your heart? Yeah, so I guess another part of the story, a part of my childhood story is that I have always enjoyed writing. I really consider myself to be more of a creative first who then developed a technical skill set, if that even makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So I excelled in writing as a child. I was in English for the gifted and talented. Uh, I won my first writing award when I was in the first grade. It was a local essay contest, the Walker County Fair. I won one first place. I don't even know where the essay is. It came with a, a trophy and a $50 savings bond that I cashed a little early because like most children, I was impatient. So it was only worth like $42 by the time I cashed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, let's see what else. So yeah, it was just something that I really wanted to do. And I also have an artistic background with visual arts. And so I originally wanted to write and illustrate children's books. And it became one of those things where, you know, as a child, you were encouraged to do everything. The sky's mm -hmm. the limit. You can go anywhere. If you want to become an alien, you can go do it, <laughs> right? And then as you get older, suddenly the sky becomes the top of a skyscraper. Then it becomes like the ceiling of a, a one-story building, you know, and it's not a even a glass ceiling. It's like it's cemented with petrified stone and concrete and stuff. So, you know, I was told that writing is something that people do after they retire. So I guess an example would be Alex Haley. You know, at that point, I, I want to say Michael Crichton and some of the others who kind of quit uh, their careers, you know, uh, Michael Crichton, I believe was a lawyer, Eric Jerome Dickey was an engineer at first. Those people were not quite in my vocabulary at that point, you know, and I don't think I would have been a novelist anyway. So it was just one of those things, the, the crashing into medical writing while I was interning with Procter & Gamble was a wonderful reintroduction into, yes, there are people who write for a living and they're not all journalists. It never even occurred to me about journalism, even though I do journalism as well. So it's just, it's just strange how life takes you down these paths. I, I don't even know if that fully answered the question, but that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Yeah, I mean, the way you tell the story is certainly ringing to my ears that yes, you are totally a writer and a storyteller because that is really what writing is, you know, writing stories down and you have a, a knack for describing it in a very interesting way that keeps the, the reader or the listener allured because that is certainly how I was listening to you. And uh, the way you present yourself is super poised and eloquent. So, um, you know, I just want to commend you for even though you didn't do it the way you thought you would or the way other people suggest that you do. I agree about the fact that life does give you all these curveballs, which can be viewed as opportunities if you choose to view them like that. And you can just go and pivot and continue to find your sky, even though some people keep saying that it's limited. Um, you can be, break through those limited walls and ceilings. And that's exactly what you've done. And 
the fact that you didn't, you know, wait until you built up your business and had to at some point quit cold turkey, I think is super brave. And, you know, if you build it, they will come. People say it doesn't work, but then often it's that energetic shift that's more important. So once you end something that's not working, that's when you invite that energetic shift that you are welcoming new things to come in. But if you are holding on to something that wasn't serving you, it would prevent other opportunities. I love that. Yeah, it's, um, I think for me, the other part was I really needed to take a break. I equate it to how there was this trend, I guess, during the early 2000s where you would hear these stories of these big time execs quitting their jobs and then they go spend a year or two traveling through Europe and Africa or whatever. Now I didn't quite take it that far, although that sounds absolutely amazing. So maybe on the next run, that's what I'll do. But, you know, I just took time to slow down, kind of like everyone has slowed down because of the, the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I just took time to, <clears throat> excuse me, slow down to really think about what was important to me. And my thought was, you know, you only get one go in life. And why, if I fail, so what? At least I tried. You know, at least I tried. And I, even if I never write another sentence for the rest of my life, Marina, I am happy that I made this choice because I feel like for whatever reason, I got a a second chance and I got a chance to live out a dream. You know, uh, the children's book, my first children's book, I finished it last year and it was supposed to have come out last year and then Corona and other things happened. So, you know, it, it, it will happen. It'll happen on, you know, in the right time. It might be that I self-publish instead of going with a publisher, or maybe I do go with a publisher. It doesn't really matter. It was more about me doing it for myself, doing something that was important to me. Uh, You know, I have other book projects or whatever, and that's fine. It's not really about, you know, I guess I don't really have to check the box, but I'm a person who lives off passions. So if I lose my passion for something, then I really don't want to do it anymore. But regardless, I'm just happy that for whatever reason, I have had this opportunity because I realize that not everybody is that fortunate. And I, I don't I don't take any of it for granted, even on those days when I'm screaming because I have to do paperwork or I have to do taxes or, you know, just the things, like I said before, I I don't like administration, you know, kind of a free spirit. And I don't like things that are just so regimented and confining, Mm -hmm. you know? So, Yeah. yeah. But that is what corporate jobs are all about too, being under the restraints, not that you choose for yourself, but that people above you choose um, for you. So I think that's kind of the the shift as well from feeling like you have no choices and feeling like you're forced to do something in exchange for money, let's say, in order to afford nice things and feel like you are somewhat successful uh, versus taking a chance and living out your true passions and being true to yourself and knowing that your choices can either make you or break you, you know, it's super liberating, but also like you're carrying this huge responsibility that, you know, you can't blame your employer 
because you're your own self, you know, employer that has to do the administrative work and all this other stuff. But it's that choice again. So it's like, are you going to do this under somebody else's rules or under your own rules? And then what is the better fit for you? And everybody has to make that choice for themselves. But I think that is what success is all about. It's about being true to who you are and living out your truth and choosing those choices to support that rather than, um, you know, confine or conform to what somebody else has laid out for you. And, you know, even though we um, may have regrets, whatever, you know, path we're going by, there might be some regrets along the way or some choices that we wish we didn't make or something like that. Um, You know, wallowing in the self pity or guilt or shame of that isn't going to make you a better person. I read this in a book recently, it's going to make you a sadder person. So, you know, just because you're feeling bad about something doesn't make you good. So the the point is that you want to feel good at all times or try to feel good to the best of your ability. And then the answer is usually by sticking to who you truly are and going for your passions, because if you can be yourself, that's a success. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And I appreciate the experiences that I had in the past, because even though, you know, it's strange when you have a certain path that you have picked for yourself and you say, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I want to be. This is where I see myself headed. And then when you get into those roles or you have those opportunities presented to you, sometimes you realize what you think you want may not necessarily be what you want, or it may not even be what you need. Mm. So, you know, I still have an opportunity to help people oftentimes, and I'm sure you can appreciate this, that as a pharmacist, sometimes we are held to a different standard. And sometimes there's a stigma that comes with it. I've had people come up to me and say, how come you don't want to be a pharmacist anymore? You know, my education does not go away. (laughs) <laughs> Those degrees do not go away. If something happens to them, I can replace them. Those credentials do not go away. The late nights, the, you know, all of that, the sacrifice, none of that goes away. I still have the battle scars. I still remember it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just about kind of reframing and going back to what you were saying earlier, it's about defining what's important to you instead of what society says is important to you or what you should value. And for me, I am more about the experience than, than I am about the material. So that alone causes me to think and act in a different way, perhaps than what, you know, society says I should or shouldn't be doing. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly why we have free will so we can exercise it and so we can find out for ourselves, you know, that is the whole point of life to, like you said, live it really truly live it. And, um, you know, this pandemic, as you were saying, really did show that to us that if you don't slow down, uh, uh, outside circumstances can really force you to slow down and really re-examine. And I think this has been a period of time where a lot of people are re-examining the way 
life was pre-COVID and now what it is and then what is really important to them kind of living under a stressful time just like in times of war or you know starvation or something like that that our ancestors had to go through horrible things uh and the fact that we have survived those horrible things in our bloodlines and we're here today and just reflecting on all of that and why would they you know pretty much sacrifice and go through such hard times for us to limit ourselves in our life. Our life is so much better right now. Besides this pandemic, that's kind of, of course, um, showing us that things could be much worse than they used to be. But also to live fully in under the confinements of this life that we're given that we know is limited. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And a conversation that I had with a friend of mine not too long ago is about the bright side of the pandemic. Like, even though, yes, these are challenging times in which we're all living and we're all going through it, we're all impacted by it in some way, shape or form. There have been many good things that have come out of it. Like um, some of like, for example, one of my best friends from college, we talk so much now, like, and <laughs> You know, like your friends, they're always there. And we all have those friends where you might not have talked in a long time, but you can pick up the phone whenever. And it's like, you know, you just talked to them yesterday, right? But actually have those conversations. And it's not just the whole reminiscing, but just our life paths are intersecting again in a way that's really amazing. And just having those conversations or I kind of have like a standing meeting with another friend where we do like a, a weekly zoom on Thursday evenings, you know, so we'll, we'll chat and we kind of debrief about the week and, you know, we have our spiritual discussions and just kind of, you know, it's, it's not just about the mental health check-in. It's also about uplifting each other and really connecting, you know, really having those conversations and appreciating the people in your life while they're here, you know? So uh, I will say that last year uh, I lost three classmates and it wasn't from the pandemic either. It wasn't from COVID. And that also kind of reframed things for me because it's the whole thing about giving people their flowers while they're here. So you know, you only get one life that we know of, regardless of what you may believe, um, you know, or can you come back to say, hey, so I, I do get another shot. We, we really don't know. So, you know, regardless, why not try to make the most out of everything? Why not try to make each day as amazing as possible? Why not tell somebody you love them while they're still here? Yeah, you're right. That's the other thing that comes to the surface that we crave connection with each other and you know sometimes people are even already annoyed with zoom meetings because you know we're we're still kind of quarantining in certain areas but this is giving us a chance through technology to connect to another human being which is also really what life is all about you know if you were just here by yourself enjoying the bounty of the earth i don't think it would really be meaningful you know, without um, connecting, maybe you'd be connecting to other animals or plants, but that is the point we're all in relationship to each other. And we all crave being meaningful to each other and bringing meaning and value into each other's lives. 
Yeah. So anyway, Frida, I want to thank you so much for spending this time with me. I would love to know more and more. I'd love to read your children's book. I think that you should definitely do some kind of biochemistry illustration for kids. <laughs> I would be happy um, to, you know, for my child and to also refresh on some biochem. So send, send that stuff my way. <laughs> I will. I will. I'll I will create a drawing of a molecule and name it in your honor and send it to you. I know they used to do that for planets. So this is, this is another thing that you can create. I can see it now. Um, so what's next for you, Frida? What are you doing right now with your business and your writing and what's next? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm continuing to write, um, you still doing some journalism and some pharmaceutical corporate type work. And so do I really have next steps? I just, you know, want to continue writing. I want to continue growing. I have considered, I've had people tell me this, and it's one of those things where if you keep hearing it, you're hearing it for a reason. You're getting this experience for a reason mm -hmm. or you're getting confirmation from other people. Does it mean that I would start maybe coaching some people who are interested in, in writing? That's a possibility. I've kind of toyed with that. It It's not really something that I feel I it's have to do. Clock. Like I love to chat with people and share my experience and share my journey or, you know, offer them words of encouragement. I'm happy to do that. So, you know, it's just about living my best life. And, you know, if I can get some plant therapy in there too, that's great for me. It hasn't been uh, practicing herbalism per se, but I do get to write about dietary supplements and herbs and different things like that. So that's also something I enjoy. I've actually thought about maybe doing a, a podcast or something that's kind of tied to some of my food creations and uh, my <laughs> experiments with fermentation. You know, so that's that's the lab for me. You know, I don't work in the lab anymore, but my lab now is my kitchen and working with my plants and, and herbs and things. So, yeah, yeah, I call it my healing place, my place of medicine. So I am actually not the best um, pharmacist in my kitchen, because when I look at a recipe, I just kind of like eyeball everything. I rarely like measure things out unless it's like for baking or something like that, but I do that rarely. And I tend to like run wild with recipes and substitute stuff all the time in and out and just experiment and have fun with it. That's that's what I do. And another thing that we have in common is um, your journalism background and what you're doing. And I used to take journalism in high school and I loved it. It was like my favorite thing. And then I edited the school newspaper and things like that. So. That's something that I thought about doing myself as well. And I interviewed for a medical writing fellowship too. Um, and I ended up turning it down as well <laughs> because of some other uh, things that were going on for me too. Okay. So, so yeah, this is all kind of like doing healthcare in a different way, but being just as important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do remember now that you had mentioned uh, your journalism background. Um, I don't, did I forget about the fellowship, but you know, I could see you like maybe writing books if you haven't already. I know you've created a course, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So I had thought about taking it because I don't think I've seen one that's been like created by a pharmacist with an herbal background. The ones that I've taken have been mainly like herbalists and sometimes they may 
tailor certain things to medical professionals. So, you know, if, if you haven't already, if you are going to write a book about all of this, please let me know because I, I would love to read it. All right, we'll do, we'll do. Yeah, I'm working on um, somewhat of a autobiography right now. So, so we'll see what happens. That's super um, cool. Yeah, so I'd love to just get on a super quick rapid fire round with you. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but okay. I'll throw some questions out and you could just say the first thing that comes to mind. All right, so number one, what uh, should a person do right now to improve their quality of life? Get outside. Love it, love it. Number two, um, what's your favorite hobby? It, that's a tough one. It's a mix between uh, hiking or doing something in nature and playing the piano. Wow, another skill that you didn't mention. All right, and finally, um, what is your favorite food to cook? You know, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's so many. That, that's a tough one. Maybe you should ask me what my favorite food to eat is. What's your <laughs> <laughs> Anything with avocado. You know, I love avocados. Avocados are awesome. All right. So Frida, could you please tell the listeners how they could learn more about you, connect with you, read your children's book, hopefully in the future, in your future, any kind of sneak peeks. Um, tell us everything. Sure. So uh, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. You can find me there. You can go to my website to see examples of my work. It's FridaWiley.com. And uh, also I'm on Twitter and I'm also on Instagram uh, recently. You know, I, that's more of my, my play spot. Like I post about some of my adventures and some of my interesting food creations and experiments. So <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, I will be sure to follow your journey. I love ferments as well. So I think you definitely need a visual media for that. Either YouTube or Instagram is a great choice. So again, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your experience and passion and wisdom. And um, I'll be in touch with you soon. All right. Well, thank you for having me. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed the show and learned something new from it. I certainly get super inspired by the guests I have on. If the same is true for you, I'd really appreciate a five-star review on any of the podcast platforms and a shout out on social media. You can find me at my name, Dr. Marina Booksov or at the tag at Raw Fork. So I look forward to connecting and I hope you have a great week ahead.